0: Uh, To remind you of what's been happening here, Paul uh, has come down to Jerusalem, and the Christians in Jerusalem said, Paul, you know, uh, there's some bad rumors going around about you. Uh, what we want you to do is, is kind of show everyone your faithfulness to the Jewish law. Paul says, "No problem. I'm going to do that." So he he takes a vow along with uh, four other guys. He pays all of their expenses for a week, and they on the last day are in the temple uh, worshiping and, and finishing uh, what their vow required of them, and then a group of Jews from the province of Asia. Remember, Paul had been doing missionary work all throughout the province of Asia, and they said, that's Paul, we know who that is, and they had chased him out with riots in a number of different towns, so they started a riot in Jerusalem. Now, the important thing here when we talk about, you know, Jews or Gentiles or all of this is not the racial distinctions, right, but the the theological ones. Paul himself was a Jew, But most of his people, most of the people who had held to the same faith as him, didn't go so far as to believe in Jesus. And it became a flashpoint of contention between the Jews in Palestine and actually all over the Roman Empire. So this riot happens and Paul's getting beat up until a Roman commander comes and rescues him. Paul speaks to the crowd. The crowd doesn't like what they have to hear. They get so angry that they're actually throwing dust up in the air and tearing off their their cloaks because they are just beside themselves with with their response to Paul. And so Paul is taken into the barracks and there he establishes, well, I'm a Roman citizen, which means you're about to stretch me out and flog me to find out the truth, but you can't do that. You have to give me due process, right? In 21st century vernacular. You have to make sure you obey the laws regarding the treatment of Roman citizens in the justice system. And the Roman citizens around the world uh, had it pretty good. Compared to the rest of the people in the Roman Empire. See, the Romans, the Roman citizens, it's kind of assumed like, well, these are people of substance and of worth, so we can't just beat them for no reason. We can't just throw them in jail and leave them there. We, if it comes, they have committed, if they really have committed a crime and it's a bad one, we can't even kill them like we would kill the other. Uh, People, you know, the people who aren't Roman citizens. So, for example, Jesus ends up dying on a cross, but Roman citizens could not die on crosses. It was too humiliating, painful, and shameful. So it was good for Paul that he was a Roman citizen. He got special treatment. Now, I don't have anything to say about that this morning other than I hope our justice system treats everyone equally. Whether it does or not is a conversation that I'm not qualified to enter into this morning. But what I do want to talk about a little bit is justice in general. Did you catch some of the strange things that happened in Paul's trial before Felix? Remember, so first of all, you have uh, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem who come to the Roman fortress here in, in Caesarea, and they bring their accusation against Paul. And what was the accusation that they brought? You remember out of the text here? Is a troublemaker, right? Uh, well, you know any troublemakers in your life? You <laughs> haul them in front of the local judge and be like, troublemaker! Throw them in. So, okay, yeah. stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Now, that's actually a serious charge. Not just in 21st century America, but even more so in, first century, in the first century Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, there was nothing worse you could do other than stir up a riot, because a riot is a way of saying we hate the Romans, right? It's disturbing the public peace, the Pax Romana, which in Latin just means the peace of Rome. That Rome guaranteed as a blessing and a gift, not only to her citizens, but to everyone in the empire. It was one of the ways Rome said, you want us to be your rulers because we will give you peace. And the Romans were pretty good at bringing peace at, you know, with the sword, but yes, they were pretty good at bringing peace. It was a time of of really unexpected and unprecedented safety for the people in the Roman Empire. It did come at the price of often being conquered, but once you were conquered, Rome said, you want us here because we'll give you peace. So when the the Jewish leaders say uh, that he is stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world, they're saying he is a traitor to Rome. He is your enemy, and you need to do something about him. Now, what's the truth about these charges? If you've gone back through, if you've been here the last few weeks, and we've been going through the book of Acts, did Paul ever start a riot? No. Who started the riots? The people who didn't like what he had to say, which was usually the Jews in the cities that Paul was visiting. And it's because Paul was taking... Uh, what they understood to be their faith, right, the Jewish faith. And he would say, well, actually, it looks different than what you say. I mean, I understand why the Jews were rioting in these different places. If somebody uh, within our own faith came out and started saying things that were totally, we thought they were totally wild and crazy, we'd probably be upset too. Not only this, but we might try and make them stop talking one way or another. Or since we live in a more civilized day, we might just say, oh, don't listen to them right? They're not telling you the truth about Christianity. But these were things worth fighting over for people in the first century. I think they may be things worth fighting over today, although I don't think we pick up uh, guns and such in order to do it. I think we fight in a different way as followers of Jesus Christ. And actually, that's exactly what Paul does. He fights in a different way. So they bring these charges against Paul, and they can't substantiate them at all, because it's just a bunch of Jewish leaders From Jerusalem who have never been to Asia or anywhere else where Paul has been they haven't seen any of the riots they just know that a riot started in Jerusalem that's really that's really what's at stake here what happened in Jerusalem notice they don't say anything about it just as he tried to desecrate the temple so we seized him but they give no details So uh, I also want you to notice something, because this is important to our point this morning. Uh, When Tertullus presents his case before Felix, Tertullus really is a lawyer. He's a rhetorician. He's trained in speaking well in these sorts of circumstances. And it says, uh, Tertullus in verse 2, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. Yeah, that's a lie. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. That's another lie. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Within a year, the Jews will have chased Felix out of office. They will have sent people to Rome to get him removed. Wow. Now, this is the way the world works, isn't it? If you want something, you got to get on the good side of the right people. That's exactly what Tertullus is doing. What does Paul do? When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. It's kind of amazing what he leaves out, isn't it? He doesn't get, have any of the flowery language. He just says, I know you've been here a long time. You know what this is about. So I'm going to make my defense before you. I think there's an implicit sort of demand in Paul's language here where he's saying, You know the truth, and you have the responsibility to make a ruling according to it. You've been a judge for many years, and I cheerfully make my defense. I'll tell the truth, now will you? And he says, well, my accusers didn't find me arguing with anyone at the temple. They can't prove to you the charges they're making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. I will not engage in the lies of the people here. I won't even answer them straight out. I'm just going to tell you what happened. Just the facts, right? Who was it? What TV show did they say? Just the facts, ma'am. Dragnet. There you go, Dragnet. Yeah. Paul says, That's what I'm going to do, just the facts. Probably didn't say ma'am. <laughs> then listen to this in verse 22 Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, with the Christians, he knew all about them. He knew what had happened. He understood that the Christians weren't out there starting riots, he understood that the Jews were angry over some of the things that the Christians believed but he understood this was an internal sort of thing and it wasn't worthy of Rome's attention. So what does he do? When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. Now that's fair. Because on the one hand, you've got the Jewish leaders who are saying one thing. And then you've got Paul who's saying another thing. And then he says, I'll get Lysias, uh, Claudius Lysias is the guy who had arrested Paul in the first place, who'd sent the letter to Felix. Uh, actually, we, we skipped that. We didn't read about it. But uh, it's, I just want to go back to that letter for just a moment because uh, uh, it becomes clear that there's a plot against Paul's life. And so Claudius Lysias, the commander of the the Roman soldiers here in Jerusalem, uh, says, well, it's dangerous for Paul here. He won't find justice here. I'm gonna send him to Caesarea. And he sends him with a huge guard of soldiers, almost 400 soldiers, we think, at one point, so that they won't be attacked along the way. And he sends this letter uh, to Felix to explain why he's sending Paul to him. And this is what the letter says. To his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. Remember how that story went a few weeks ago? It was, okay, there's a big riot. Here's the guy they're beating up. I'm going to grab and arrest him, and uh, nothing works. So I took him into the barracks, and we were about to flog him when we found out he was a Roman citizen. Is this the way, you know, what's Claudius Lysias doing here? He's saying, look how great I am. Isn't it amazing? When it comes to getting justice for Paul, what's Claudius Lysias concerned with? Himself, Himself, his good name. When it comes to deciding for justice toward Paul, what is Felix concerned with? Do you remember at the end of the passage? What was he hoping to get from Paul? He kept calling him in. Paul, tell me more. What did he want? A bribe. A bribe. Is it surprising to you that sometimes the legal and justice systems in our world don't work the way they're supposed to? That's a no. Someone said they're not surprised at all. (laughs) It doesn't work because often, well, the, the problem with our legal system is that we're a part of it, right? Despite our best efforts, we show favoritism. Despite our best efforts we don't have all the information. Despite our best efforts our justice often is a lot less than it should be. So here's my question. What do we what does Paul do in response? How does Paul respond? Felix cares more about a bribe and keeping his position than giving Paul justice. So he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Did Paul say, you know, Jesus loves you so much, he'd love you even a little more if you let me go. I'll put in a good word for you. Does Paul say, you know, Felix, let me just give you all the the good and easy stuff so that you'll be inclined to decide for me. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, "Oh, that's enough for now. You can leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you." Paul just keeps telling the truth, doesn't he? He tells the truth about his circumstances. He didn't he didn't uh, throw mud, did he? He didn't say, these guys are the worst. I can't believe you're going to listen to these Jewish leaders. You yourself know. I mean, they're, they're just appointed to their leadership positions based on how much they can pay you. Do you think they're going to give you the truth in this matter? He doesn't go about any of that, does he? Because the truth is enough for Paul. The truth is enough for Paul. Was the truth enough for Felix, though? No. How's Paul going to respond to that? When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, which is understating the way he went out as if it was like, yeah, okay, man, you come on in and take over. Everything's fine. Nothing's going wrong. Right. No, he he was in danger of losing his life over how things had gone in Judea. And tensions were at an all-time high between the Jews and the Romans. So three days after arriving in the province Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, and the chief priests and the Jews hadn't forgotten about all of this. This is two years later, and they're still trying to get Paul killed. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem because they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Not interested in justice there. And Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges there. So he says, we're just going to do it all over again, right? How frustrating do you think that must be for Paul? Has he done anything wrong? Nope. Has he been? Now... He, he has been imprisoned for two years, but it's like minimal confinement prison. He's staying in the palace in a room where he's got some freedom. His friends can come in and see him. He, he gets good food. He's not you know, behind bars somewhere. He's just under guard in the palace. But yeah, after two years, I bet he's thinking, I can't remember the last time I went outside. I got a lot of work to do out there, a lot of places to go and people to see. These walls are getting pretty boring. And all because I'm not getting justice. So after Festus finally comes back to Caesarea and the Jews come with him and uh, they brought many serious charges against him that they couldn't prove. And Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. There's a reason Luke doesn't go into detail here. We've heard it all before. They bring charges they can't prove. Paul tells the truth of the matter. No one's really interested in that. So Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. Why would he want to do that? He's a new governor in a region where there are constant revolts, where the last governor had tried to deal with everything by killing everything that moved that looked like it might make trouble. And Festus comes along and says, well, that didn't work. I need a new way of doing it. Maybe I can do the Jews a favor. What's justice, right? I mean, and and even think about it in this way. Maybe Festus thinks to himself, I don't know that this is what he thought to himself, but it would be very reasonable to say, think of all the justice I could give if I just don't give justice in this one case. You ever felt like that? The ends justify the means, right? Think of all the good that will be done if I just do a little bit of evil over here. Who's Paul anyway? What does he really matter? Is this significant after all? Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul knows there's probably a plot to end his life. And he answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And after Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. Okay, so what happened here? Let me give this to you as briefly as I can. Paul uh, calls everyone out, doesn't he? Why can you not make a decision here, Festus? Why can you not give justice today? There's no reason. There's no reason for it. If you can find and substantiate a charge, I won't argue. Right? Offenders may deserve to die, and if that's the case, I will die. But if you can't find substance in these charges, you don't have the right to hand me over. I appeal to Caesar. Roman citizens had this right. If they felt that they weren't getting a fair hearing, or if they felt that the matter was so complex, anybody who was a Roman citizen could appeal to Caesar. And the judge himself would have to make a decision of whether or not to grant that appeal, but in Paul's case, it was granted. Maybe Festus is thinking, good, <laughs> not my problem. but we find out something else about Festus. A few days later, King Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, who we meet, of course, during the Christmas season, the king of the region when Jesus was born, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus, right? He's the new official, so the other officials come in, you know, they get together and figure out how they can work together and size each other up. And Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem... The chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. And I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. Yeah, did that happen? No. When they came here with me, I didn't delay the case, that's true, but convened the court the next day, and his accusers uh, charged him with strange things. They didn't charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed is alive. (laughs) If we just step outside this for a moment, uh, there's a sense in which this Roman governor is saying two things. The first is he's saying, I have no idea what they're arguing about. It all sounds like nonsense to me. But the second thing he's saying is Paul's done nothing against the Roman law. So why didn't you let him go, right? I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges, but Paul appealed to Caesar. And Agrippa said, I I want to hear him myself. Now, Agrippa uh, understood Judaism very well. He stood sort of inside and outside of it at the same time. But in uh, 66 AD, there'll be a huge war. The Jews will finally revolt against Rome. It will end in about 70 AD when Rome comes in and completely destroys Jerusalem and everything there. So the big conflict is coming up. And during that conflict, Agrippa and Bernice will do everything they can, first of all, to get the Jews to stop revolting, and secondly, to make the Romans go easy on them. So these two really know and understand and care about the Jews So they all come, it says they, uh, next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. This isn't happening in a back room. Everybody is about to hear this. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Uh, Festus says some flowery stuff to King Agrippa and explains what they're doing. And then Agrippa says, you have permission to speak for yourself to Paul. And so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in ancient Roman society, there were whole books written on you know the sort of movements that you, you would hold your hands like this and you would gesture appropriately throughout the whole thing. And if you were getting more emotional, you would gesture you know more widely. And if, if you were just doing little, you'd be just kind of like this. And you'd move your head along with your hands everywhere you went. So Paul is, is educated in this and, and he stands up as a sophisticated man before King Agrippa. And he tells his story. As a matter of fact, not just his story, he tells the story of Israel. But he says, the Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country, he's from Tarsus, which is in modern day Turkey. And also in Jerusalem. They can tell you themselves that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, being a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. He says, it's not just me that's on trial. It's our very faith as Jews together. Are we going to follow Jesus or not is where Paul will take us. So Paul goes through and he he tells this whole story and he talks about how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus as he's traveling to gather up the Christians and kill them if he can. Because he's an enemy of Jesus at this point. As he's on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Jesus on the road. And he says, maybe with more detail here than anywhere else, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, if you don't remember, Paul's original name was Saul. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What an interesting thing to say. A goad, of course, I don't know this because I'm a country person because I had to look this up, but if you have a livestock that pulls a cart or something, you know, a carriage, whatever, you might know what a goad is. It's a little sharp thing that keeps the animal from kicking back. And... Jesus is saying, that's what your life has been like. You're finding that there are, you, you want to go one way, and there's something constantly forcing you another, and it is painful in your life. And people have interpreted this maybe as Paul really knows the truth about Jesus, but he's resisting it. But I think it's more likely that Paul, living under the law, felt like he was living with these goads that were constantly telling him, don't go that way. You're not good enough. God could never love you and accept you. And Jesus is, by implication, saying, with me, you don't have to kick against those goats. With me, you have a real freedom. Paul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He keeps telling his story. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I started telling everyone about Jesus everywhere, because he's changed my life. God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike King Agrippa. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. It's in our scripture. The Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is quite a moment in the story. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I imagine it's this combination of Paul's absolute sincerity as he delivers this message. And the craziness of what Paul is saying. A guy who died on a cross, rose from the dead, appeared to me on the road and changed my life. And he can change your life too. And Festus is all like, dude, do you know how crazy that sounds? In you know, Southern California language. Dude. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. Remember I said he's not outside of Judaism. And I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul's struggling with injustice every step of the way, isn't he? He is unjustly grabbed by the mob at the temple. He's unjustly about to be flogged until he can yell, wait, I'm a Roman citizen, and they stop. He's unjustly the subject of a plot to have him murdered as he's transferred from, uh, Rome, from Jerusalem to where his trial is going to be. He's moved to Caesarea. He's unjustly held by Felix, who wants a bribe. He's unjustly Hephaestus unjustly says, well, instead of deciding your clear innocence here, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem? Every step, something unjust is happening to Paul. When something unjust happens to you and I, what do we do? Yeah, we get angry, right? We complain, we moan, we cry, we We do all these things, right? I've told this story before, but I remember the most unjust thing that ever happened to me. I was leaving Save Mart at the Mary's Vineyard Shopping Center, where great injustices happen. And I was, you know, we we all come east from that Save Mart, right? And not everybody does. Most people, I think, go the other way. But we all go east on on 198. So I got to that stoplight. And, you know, there are two lanes to get onto the freeway from the Mary's Vineyard Shopping Center. And the left one is straight or left. And the right one is right turn only. But, you know, the paint has gotten pretty faint there, and uh, so I, but I, I am just, I am in my lane, I am ready to go, and the light turns green, and I start to accelerate at a perfectly reasonable pace, and the person next to me in the right turn only lane starts banging on the horn, like, you're in my way, I'm trying to get on the freeway, you're supposed to go left, it was the, clearly the most unjust thing that has ever happened to me, <laughs> at the very least, I felt violated, in such a, it's like, I, what, I'm in the right I know what I'm doing. Your ignorance is no excuse for your sin. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else have a story like that? I have the same story. Same story. It was you. <laughs> That's what we do. It's not what Paul did, is it? Why? What to Paul was more important than getting the justice he deserved? That was a pause for dramatic effect, by the way. The truth, but specifically what about it? do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian, Paul? Paul replied, short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul was more concerned that justice was really coming for his audience. Paul was more concerned for what Felix's waiting for a bribe meant for him, for Felix, than what it would mean for Paul. Let me tell you, me me be two implications of this, and then we're done. The first reason Paul was more concerned for that is because Paul was certain that where Jesus went, Paul would follow. He understood that he wasn't standing unjustly accused before Felix and Festus and Agrippa and anyone else absent the presence of Jesus Christ because Jesus had stood the same way. Not only this, but Jesus, although he was sentenced to death by the Roman authorities, although he died on the cross, he did not stay dead. This is the very hope that changed Paul's life and sent him all throughout the known world so he could tell people about Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced that whether he received justice today or not, ultimately Paul would be vindicated by God and would live forever with him. He could stand a little earthly injustice because he would eternally receive justice in Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to live like that. I want that sort of perspective. I want it so badly because it would transform every part of my life. I have kids, you may have noticed. And sometimes kids drive you a little crazy, don't they? And sometimes maybe as parents, you might raise your voice a little bit louder than you intended to. And you think afterwards, oh gosh, I could have done that. And you know why that happens? It's because in the moment, I want my justice. You're not treating me right, you kids. <laughs> you am gonna lose my temper a little bit. Second thing I think we ought to draw from this. The first is, hey, we're gonna get justice in Jesus Christ. <sighs> but the second thing is, when people meet Jesus Christ, they become more just. You know, we are sitting here this morning, and I get, this story is kind of wild, isn't it? This story of, of Felix being so corrupt and wanting a bribe, and, and Festus being willing to compromise his principles anywhere so he can get along with the people and keep his power. I know that, in a sense, we feel that way about our own government at times. But the reason that we get so upset when it happens in our government is because we expect something different. We live in a time and a place where we believe people should behave better than that. And Paul did not live in that time and place. You notice that Paul, he doesn't call them out for their hypocrisy on those different things. He doesn't say, Felix, you just want to bribe and That's wrong. Paul's like, of course you want to bribe. That's the way the world works. Not that Paul thought he should pay the bribe or Felix should want to bribe, but he didn't expect anything different. And I think that we need to understand that the reason we have been conditioned to believe that our judges should actually be just has a lot to do with the influence of Christianity on the Western world. Uh, there's a, a guy named, oh, I can't remember his name, but there was a book that came out a couple of years ago called Dominion. And it basically tells stories from Christian history. And the guy who wrote this is not a Christian, by the way. Uh, it tells stories from Christian history that demonstrate momentous changes in the social life and how they came from our Christian faith. Things like the end of slavery. Things like, because you know slavery is universally practiced around the world. There hasn't been pretty much any society that doesn't do it. But it was in the West where slavery first became great evil and where it was dealt with. Not because the West is so great, but because in the West, we got to know Jesus longer than just about anybody else. See, Jesus makes us more just. And when Paul is confronted with injustice, he says the best way to make these people just is to point them to Jesus. And maybe that might change the way we we interact with our world today. Because what do we do most of the time, very understandably, when things don't go our way when they should, when the court rules against you or something along those lines? What do we do? We yell. We complain. We talk about how unjustly we've been treated. Notice Paul does none of that. Paul instead says, I'm concerned about what this ruling means for you more than I am for me. Because he's free in Jesus to do that.